Do you think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. If Felix Mendelssohn, who lived between 1809 and 1847, were able to assess his own life, his only justifiable grievance would be its brevity. One of four children, a sister Fanny was almost as talented as a brother in composition and piano playing, Mendelssohn led a charmed existence. He was handsome, highly educated, well-read, a talented artist, as well as being an accomplished piano player and organist, so good, in fact, that on one occasion the organ he was playing had to be switched off after a service as no one was going home, composer, respected conductor, and, as if that wasn't enough, he was also very rich. In short, the full package and a damn good catch. I suspect the fact that this child prodigy never had to struggle financially has contributed to some labelling his work as superficial, sentimental and even mediocre. And I must confess to having been influenced that way for many years myself, for which I must lay the blame squarely on one of my journalist idols, Bernard Levin, who wrote so persuasively and eloquently about many subjects, few more so than music. A passionate Wagnerian, whose music will come to soon, Levin once wrote that he didn't really see the point of Mahler, rated Verdi as a rather ordinary musician, and questioned why, with all the other talents he had at his disposal, Mendelssohn felt the need to devote his life to music. Having for years heard nothing much more than his big hits of the first violin concerto, the Hebrides Overture, incidental music from Midsummer Night's Dream, the Scottish and Italian symphonies, I had some sympathy with this view for too long, wrongly deciding in my own head it was all just too sugary. What a mistake, but one so easily made when not enough of his other choral and chamber music is played. And here's some evidence. The octet which Mendelssohn wrote is the work of a mature musician, but it was performed in 1825 when he was just 16 years old. It's a work of nearly half an hour, and we're going to listen to the first of its four movements. Eight string instruments unfold almost half the piece with this beautiful violin melody underpinned by an energetic momentum. And just when you think it's running out of steam on the final bend, there's a renewed sprint to the line. When you consider his age, this is the work of a genius, no question. It's not sugary, it's just a delight. And so I must respectfully disagree with Bernard Levin on this, as I do with his views on Verdi, however much I admired his writing. And I took some pleasure in stumbling across this quip from Wagner about Mendelssohn in an article entitled Judaism in Music in 1850. Mendelssohn has shown us that a Jew may have the amplest of talents, the finest and most varied culture, the highest and tenderest sense of honour, and yet these qualities cannot help him even once to evoke in us the deep heart-searching effect which we expect from art. Are not Levin's remarks a paraphrase of that? I wonder if even one of my journalistic idols may himself have been susceptible to the views of one of his own. Mendelssohn, incidentally, converted to Christianity. Mendelssohn was only 38 years old when he died, after a couple of strokes which were brought on from overwork. We've much to thank him for, not least editing and conducting bastard Matthew Passion nearly 80 years after that man's death, as well as reviving his music in Europe generally, 
and it was also Mendelssohn who conducted the first performance of Schubert's Great C Major Symphony in 1839, a work its composer never heard played, and my all-time favourite symphony. The purists do not give him the credit he deserves, and we'll hear much more of his music in future podcasts. It's almost universally fresh and life-enhancing, as you're about to hear for yourself. The first movement of Mendelssohn's Octet, the work of a 16-year-old, remember, is played here by the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields.
Words like prodigy and genius are sometimes overused, but even Mozart wasn't writing music like that at 16 years old. And speaking of overused, if ever there was an overused, even lazy accolade applied to a great singer, the voice of an angel is surely it. The legendary conductor Arturo Toscanini, who lived between 1876 and 1957, was so widely lauded in his craft that he may have felt he'd acquired godlike status. So when he used the term about the Italian soprano Renata Tebaldi, most would have sat up and assumed he knew what he was talking about. She had one of the most beautiful voices of the 20th century, and, perhaps unusually during her prime, she was no slouch when it came to acting. Such a combination meant that the press were quick to make comparisons between her and Maria Callas, with whom she's supposed to have had a lifelong rivalry. There was something in that, no doubt, but I suspect that if both were alive today, they would say that this was a myth which suited both of them rather nicely, thank you. Competition between two big players in any field rarely does either side much harm. Tempting as it may be, it's shallow to state, I'm in the callous camp, or Tabaldi for me. Their voices, although in the same range, were very different. But today, I'm going to concentrate on Tabaldi. What's the first thing that enters your head? at the mention of the name Bellini. I won't believe you if it wasn't cocktail. Maybe art lovers will think of the 15th century Italian painter Giovanni Bellini. But Vincenzo Bellini, who lived between 1801 and 1835, would be the right answer here. A Sicilian composer whose short life left an operatic output which is right at the heart of the repertoire today. Whether your part in one of his operas was a goodie or a baddie, you're always assured of the best possible tunes. He just wasn't all that interested in characterization. The music was everything. Here is a prime example. We're going to listen to a famous aria from Norma. It's an opera with all the necessary and slightly unbelievable ingredients which make up a good tragic drama. Two women, both druid princesses in Gaul and therefore bound by an oath of chastity, and yet both in love, initially unknown to the other, with the same man who just happens to be a vice-consul in the Roman army, with whom war may be imminent. One of them, Norma, the high priestess, seems to have forgotten her vow of chastity and been a little careless, and lands up having two sons with the Roman. I need hardly tell you that this is not a story where everyone lands up living happily ever after. 
Before that, Norma pleads with the gods to avoid war and the inevitable consequences which a liaison with the enemy would bring. Kastadiva is her prayer, a truly gorgeous melody which will be familiar to many of you, but perhaps not in this version. I've no idea if this is the voice of an angel or not, but if it's the first thing I hear when I close my eyes for the last time, I shall feel mildly encouraged.
Happy tune? Is there such a thing? If so, I never heard it. So apparently declared my favourite composer, Franz Schubert. I can't imagine who or what provoked him to say such a thing. He may have had a short and at times melancholic life, but there's much in his own huge output which contradicts his statement. And whatever your taste in music, ancient or modern, all of us can point to something that makes us happy. I wonder, for example, if Joseph Haydn, who lived for more than twice as long as Schubert, was even capable of writing a sad piece. No, if Schubert really said this, he was just having a bad day. Or perhaps he never got to hear this piece by Mozart, who, in a letter of 1786, wrote that melody is the very essence of music. A view in keeping you with Haydn, who said, even more simply, that melody is the main thing. A melody, of course, can just as easily be sad, but imagine being Mozart, wandering the streets of Vienna in 1786, or tucking into a little something in the coffee shop capital of the world, his early demise sadly deprived him of the Zachertorte, which didn't arrive for another 30 years or so, and being struck with a tune like this. The third movement of his 23rd piano concerto in the sunny key of A major has an infectious beginning, and whenever I listen to it, I have this real sense of Mozart wanting to return to these opening seconds at the earliest opportunity. There's plenty of playful woodwind in the meantime, but every note, it seems to me, is a means of getting us back to that opening burst, which obligingly he does. This, dear Schubert, is unalloyed happiness. I can't believe you could have heard it, for you would certainly have been cheered had you done so. Maybe you have since, because apparently the angels play Mozart when they get together. It's played here by Alfred Brendel with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, conducted by Neville Mariner.
it for now. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch with Nick Healy Hutchinson. He'll be back again next week with some more treasures for you, so please do join him then. And you can subscribe to this podcast by clicking on the link below. Thank you.